Thank you for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Avinash Ramchandani. Remember, if you want to hear about any specific topic, please send me an email at info at painlessnx.com. I will try to feature your topic on a future session. Also, if you are interested in being interviewed on the podcast or know someone that would be an interesting interview on the podcast, please also send me an email at info at painlessnx.com. I also have a Patreon page where you can donate to the cause of the podcast. That is Physiatry Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast or think someone else would enjoy the podcast, please have them subscribe to my podcast, The Physiatry Podcast. It is available again anywhere you like to listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. Thank you again for listening. Today's topic is human experimentation in the United States. This is a very important topic as currently we have vaccines going out in the United States and throughout the world and people are very skeptical about the United States government and other governments putting out these vaccines and thinking that there may be human experimentation and other things going on. So in order to really delve into the subject of these vaccines and why people are so skeptical about them, let's talk a little bit about human experimentation in the United States throughout history, and then we can actually talk about why these vaccines are different. Many of these stories are going to be stories of olden times and how doctors used to be very unethical in how they used to treat human beings. I'm going to start with a relatively recent story from the 1940s where Jonas Salk and Thomas Francis, both virologists from the University of Michigan, studied influenza virus. Now, Dr. Salk is the same Dr. Salk that invented the polio vaccine, which we will, which we have talked about in the past. But Dr. Salk and Dr. Francis actually deliberately infected patients at several Michigan mental institutions with the influenza virus by spraying the virus into their nasal passages. This is about the time where he had actually found the influenza virus. So he wanted to see whether the virus was actually influenza or not. So that's why he threw these upon these unsuspecting victims in the mental institutions. Of course, Dr. Salk later invented the polio vaccine or one of the types of polio vaccines and is forever known in infamy and has the Salk Institute. Now let's rewind a little bit more and go back to a very, very dark stage in human experimentation in the United States, also known as the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. And this was a clinical study conducted between 1932 and 1972 in Tuskegee, Alabama by the U.S. Public Health Service. And this was initiated on 399 impoverished black males who had syphilis, and they were offered a quote-unquote treatment for syphilis. And this was done by researchers from the public health department. What they actually did was just follow these patients throughout their life cycle of syphilis. By 1947, 
penicillin became available for treatment. But these patients were not treated with penicillin and were just observed throughout history. Finally, in 1966, Peter Buxton, a PHS, Public Health Service, venereal disease investigator in San Francisco, sent a letter to the National Director of the Division of Venereal Diseases. The CDC replied and told him that these people need to be studied until everybody has passed away and their brains needed to be autopsied. This was actually supported by the American Medical Association and National Medical Association. Again, this was back in 1968. In 1968, an African-American statistician from the Public Health Department and the Department of Public Health, Education, and Welfare founded and edited The Drum, a newsletter devoted to ending racial discrimination. This called for an end to the study in 1968. And finally, in 1972, Buxton came to the presses and in the Washington Star this was reported by Jen Heller of the Associated Press. It became front page news headlines in the New York Times the following day. Senator Edward Kennedy called congressional hearings at which Buxton and the health education and welfare officers were testified. Finally, public outcry caused the CDC to review the documentation and the study. There was a class action lawsuit subsequently filed by the NAACP on behalf of the study participants and their descendants. Famously, in 1997, finally, Bill Clinton formally apologized and held a ceremony at the White House for the surviving Tuskegee study participants. There were eight study survivors at that time. Five of the survivors attended the White House ceremony. In 2009, a legacy museum opened in the Bioethics Center to honor the hundreds of participants in the Tuskegee experiment. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. There was another study done in Guatemala that was similar, also done by the United States. This was done from 1946 to 1948. And this also studied the same type of patients with syphilis and late stages of syphilis. In 2010, the United States President, Secretary of State, and Health and Human Services all formally apologized to Guatemala for the ethical violations that were taking place. Guatemala condemned the experiment and a lawsuit was filed at that point. The next study I'm going to talk about is a very disturbing study where a doctor actually tried to put testicles in human beings. This was done in 1913 to 1951 by Dr. Leo Stanley at the San Quentin State Prison in California. He was the chief surgeon at California State Prison from 1913 to 1951. implanted and experimented with about 10,000 human beings and implanted or removed about 10,000 testicles from people. In 1909, California actually passed several eugenics-driven laws that allowed for forced sterilization of inmates and mental hospital patients that were considered unfit for society. 
So Dr. Stanley would take testicles from goats or other animals, mush them up, and inject them into human beings. He also would take the glands from human beings that were executed, do the same thing, and inject them into human beings. This is all mostly before World War II. After World War II, he graduated into private practice in Marin County, California, north of San Francisco, and then retired into his ranch life. Despite thinking that he would actually have children and would be rejuvenated with these treatments, he died at the age of 90, childless. Now, most of these treatments were with the consent of the prisoners, but at the same time, they were not aware of exactly what he was doing. He was just telling them that he was going to increase their ability and their ability to enjoy life. Since 2007, there has not been a single United States researcher that has been prosecuted for human experimentation. The main reasons for this are because of all these previous experimentations. There are many more, by the way, and I just mentioned a few. And there is some experimentation of humans going on throughout the world. But in the United States specifically, the rules that really started were back in 1974 with the National Research Act. And this mandated that the Public Health Service come up with regulations to protect the rights of human research subjects. Currently, if anything is supposed to be researched on a human being in the United States, it needs to be reviewed by what's called the Institutional Review Board, as well as reviewed by the NIH if there are grants involved with this. Therefore, no recent studies have had these issues in the United States. Now, many of the drugs that we use have been tested not only in the United States, but throughout the world. These standards do not exist in some other parts of the world, specifically places like North Korea, which may be experimenting with human beings at this time, including with chemical weapons and other things. Since the 1970s, informed consent is a necessity for any research going on in the United States. It is extremely important to remember that this is why we have studies that are extremely ethical and why human experimentation in the United States doesn't go on the way it used to in the past. For a minute now, let's talk about the COVID-19 vaccines. And I know everybody's tired about talking about COVID, but it's important to discuss this topic. There is no current data available from the United States studies. I want to particularly focus on the United States studies because the FDA will only approve drugs that have been studied in the United States and these vaccines that have been studied in the United States. And this is why the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has been approved in the United Kingdom, as well as throughout the world, is not approved here yet because they do not have enough studies in the United States. So back to my point, 
the United States vaccines or the ones that have been approved here in the United States have no issues with sterility in human beings, have no issues with other side effects other than being fatigued and exhausted for a few days. There are some people that have gotten anaphylaxis, but that is extremely rare. About one in one million people have gotten anaphylaxis from the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. It is important to remember that if you are allergic to anything in the vaccine, you should not get the vaccine. The ingredients of the vaccines are listed on the websites of the makers of the drug, including Moderna and Pfizer. And let me tell you, the ingredients are extremely simple. There are not many preservatives or anything that would make me think that these vaccines would cause severe reactions in most people. Let me tell you about my second vaccine experience. I've talked about my first vaccine experience where I was fatigued and exhausted for about 24 hours. This happened about 12 hours after I received the vaccine. My experience with the second vaccine was extremely similar where I was extremely exhausted about 12 hours after receiving my vaccine. I also felt some body aches. I sort of felt like I had the flu, but I had no upper respiratory issues whatsoever. So again, I didn't grow a tail. I didn't do anything else that was extremely weird other than being exhausted for 24 hours. And I attribute this to an immunogenic reaction where I actually developed the antibodies and I developed a reaction to the vaccine, which is perfectly fine and normal when you get a vaccine of this sort. I know other people that have not got any reaction to the vaccine. So let me just tell you that it is perfectly fine to get the vaccine and there are really side effects that can be very, very manageable. If you need to take a day or two off after the vaccine, which is what I did. Again, thank you for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Avinash Ramchandani. I hope you've enjoyed our show. And next week, I will talk to you about a more clinically relevant topic. And we'll talk about complex regional pain syndrome, also known as reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Thank you again. Have a wonderful week.